Well, good morning, First Church, and welcome back to our Finding You series. This is the third week, and uh, man, we had some incredible feedback from last weekend. We're really thankful for that. And uh, frankly, I'm a little bit shocked at how and surprised at the intense level of interest in the Enneagram series, which is great, and I'm glad you guys love it. But um, my hope is this is more than just information, that it provides transformation and empowerment to love Jesus more and to love one another more, because that's what this is about. I want to say hello to everybody at our jail campus. We're really glad that you're with us. I want to say hello to everybody watching online. Here's a cool thing. A friend of mine named Chris, who was an over-the-road trucker, sent me this picture last weekend. He was stuck somewhere in like North Dakota or something in the oil fields, and uh, he just sent me this picture saying, I'm watching from inside my truck. Uh, so post a picture from where you're from, unless you're in the tropics, in which case, keep that to yourself. Um, we don't want to see it. But uh, anyway, uh, hello to everybody here, and uh, thank you for coming in person. Uh, I appreciate you reaping the benefit of actually coming to church in person. There's a great deal of physiological and social benefit to coming together at a physical location, and uh, thank you for valuing that. Um, a cool thing that's happening today, you might not know this, we have 55 people taking the Next Step class, and I love that we're growing, um, but this is a church where it's not too big to be known. And I think that's really cool. We designed this auditorium and the size of each service to be a place where it wouldn't be so big that you couldn't know people. And uh, if you want to be known, you can choose to not slip through the cracks here by taking the Next Step class. And I appreciate that you guys are doing that. And part of doing the Hebron location, instead of expanding here right now, is because we don't want this to feel like a place where it's too big to be known. We want this to feel like a wonderful church with quality worship experiences um, that uh, is also a place where people can be real. And I'm thankful that this is also a community where we love one another. And at church, um, we're 127 years old, which is kind of incredible. 128 years old right now. That just happened. Um, but uh, we're 128 years old. And uh, for the five years that I've gotten to be here, um, I think that God has really blessed us because we've loved one another so well. And uh, I, I see, like, political groups, like town Facebook pages and uh, churches ripping each other apart a lot of times, you know, tearing each other down about little disagreements and I'm thankful that for at least the five years I've been a part of this church, I've seen a group of people that refuses to gossip, that chooses to forgive one another, that chooses to put aside their personal preferences, and we made a lot of changes. I mean, five years ago, we were in a building with blue pews and a pipe organ, right, and, and mailboxes and a septic system that smelled terrible, and I'm just thankful that you guys have been so with us. I mean, we made changes with our youth ministry. We don't have a dedicated men's ministry at the moment. We have sisterhood changing radically all the time, and continually throughout the journey, I'm so thankful for those of you who have said, we refuse to sin by gossiping. We choose to honor God and love one another in that way. And I just want to ask you to continue to do that. I think it's one of the biggest ways that the devil stops the church. And I want to say thanks in advance as we get ready to go through some radical changes and transformation again as a church. I want to say thanks in advance for choosing to walk a godly Matthew 18 path, honoring one another, loving one another, and being the body of Christ. And I love this community. It's the best church I've ever been a part of. And I want to say thank you for keeping it that way. Now, this series is all about becoming the body of Christ. And uh, that's what this is about. It's about learning to love each other effectively. God gave each of us a special and unique role. And instead of a wide receiver trying to be a quarterback or a linebacker trying to be a wide receiver, we want to function as a team the way that God made us to. And uh, we have been using this method called the Enneagram that helps us understand and love our, uh, each other better by breaking down our personalities into nine distinct types. And uh, the reason why we want to do this, Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 18. He says, but our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. 
Last week, I covered the anger or the instinct triad, the eights, nines, and ones. You know what? I like that triad because I could be brutal and savage on you. I'm an eight. I know I can handle it. Nines and ones, you're all good because the nines aren't going to say anything, and the ones, you know, you understand. Okay? Now, this week, we're doing the feelings triad, twos, threes, and fours. And I always test my messages, usually on Wednesday night, um, you know, or Wednesday morning or Tuesday night. And I tested my message out this week, and I absolutely made people cry. And I was like, oh, yeah, we're dealing with the feelings triad, especially the twos. I'm so sorry. So, I made it a ton nicer. I just totally like toned it down, whatever. And then I tested it again, and the ones were like, no, you got to be savage. What's wrong with you? You know what I mean? So anyway, I'm trying to find a balance, you guys, trying to find a balance. Hope this is all right. And uh, I just want to remind you, you can go to www.first.church slash test to take a test. It'll help you find your type. And uh, some people have been talking about inconclusive test results. And one of the big reasons for that, not always, but often when you take the test for the ideal of who you wish you were rather than the reality of who you actually are, sometimes you can get inconclusive results. You know, I know some people are like, yeah, I'm on time always. And it's like, (laughs) I mean, no, you're not. You know what I mean? So sometimes it might be better to ask your spouse, like, hey, what do you think about this? But then don't get mad when they tell you the truth. You know what I mean? So uh, anyway, um, that's a big thing there. And then also remember, it's not really about a test. You're going to know your type and your family's going to know your type when I describe it or you read about it. And not everything in your type is going to be a perfect fit for you. It's a construct for understanding, not a branding on your side that chains you to a specific role. My wife is an Enneagram type 2, but there are some parts of a type 2 that she's definitely not. And that's okay. It still provided huge understanding and insight into who she is. And it's really blessed our marriage. Like, it's really helped our marriage, understanding each other in this way. Also, I will say that there are infinite shades of every color. Just because you're a type 4 and he's a type 4 doesn't mean that you're not unique. And type 4s need to hear that. You're your own individual snowflake and there's never been one like you. So that's good. Now, a quick preview of how this is going to work. Overview is what we're going to do of twos, threes, and fours, respectively. We're going to give a summary, and then we're going to do the core sin of each, and finally, we're going to talk about how to love each type. Let's start with an overview of the type two, which is the helper. And uh, listen, I love type twos. I'm married to one. A good saying for a helper is, I want you to be happy, and I want to be the reason, right? Just like that, okay? Twos are amazing, wonderful people, and along with type nines, they're actually the most loved of all types. And uh, they're volunteering right now in the nursery. They're doing the jobs that no one else wants to do because they are selfless. And uh, twos are the personality they can deal with type 8s most effectively. And I'm thankful for that because I'm a type 8. And uh, 2s are willing to follow, serve, and forgive. They don't care so much about the spotlight. Type 2s serve because they want to feel needed and loved. Well, Enneagram type 8s have a childhood where they're wounded, so they feel they need to armor up and take control to protect themselves. Oftentimes, Enneagram type 2s have childhoods where they feel forgotten or marginalized. They don't need to be in control to protect themselves like type 8s, but they do want to be included and invited in the adventure. If you have a type 2 in your life, one of the ways you could love them is simply by inviting them and including them. They want to go on the adventure with you. The core need of a type type, uh, 2 is to be loved and needed. Kristen, my wife, is actually a very classic and real Enneagram type 2, and when we fight, one of the big things that she'll ask me when she's healthy is, do you love me? Like, just like that, right? And uh, she's a very healthy type 2. She's actually able to recognize now that that's a need that she has. That hasn't always been the case, but when she's healthy, she's able to articulate, like, I just need to be loved right now. I need to feel loved. Like, 75% of the time, that will diffuse the whole thing. And sometimes, she'll, like, pick me apart for a little bit, like, this, 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 you did this, you did that, and then at the end, she'll be like, you know what? I just need you to tell me 
you love me. And I'm like, really? All that other stuff? Like, I don't need to do? She's like, no, it was just I need to feel love. I'm like, perfect, yes. You know, because that was a lot. I didn't know if I could do it all. Anyway, telling twos you love them is like um, changing engine oil in a car, right? Like a Chevy LS motor, you'll get two, 300,000 miles out of that. All you got to do is consistent oil changes. It's no big deal. But if you don't do consistent oil changes, what happens? The engine blows up, right? If you don't tell a two that you love them regularly, they're going to go psychotic on you. It's just going to happen. It's just, you know, it's going to be bad throwing a rod, whatever. My kids know my wife is super sweet and loving, but when she does get mad, it's like everybody, you know, hit the deck, okay? Um, part of this is because twos have a tough time understanding their own needs because they're so focused on the needs of others. Um, like most classic twos, my wife is profoundly unaware of her physical needs. She'll forget that she's hungry. She's often unaware of being sick. I'll, like, give her a hug, and I'll be like, oh, my goodness, honey, you're smoking hot. She's like, yeah, I am. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. You have a fever, girl. Like, you're, 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 like, really temperate. And she'll be like, oh, I didn't even know I was sick. Me? I mean, if I'm, like, 98.7, I'm like, oh, my goodness, I'm dying, honey. Like, this is the worst, right? Kristen, like, will accidentally cut herself while cooking and be bleached. She won't even notice, right? She, like, no joke, for our first pregnancy pictures, we took them the day she entered labor with Isabel, and she was literally in labor during the pictures. And she's like, no, it was okay. I just thought I had a little Charlie horse. It was like, nope, yeah, you were dilated to, like, four. We were about ready to have the kid right there. But anyway, that was TMI. Okay, the upside is that twos are extremely perceptive of the needs of others. If someone needs encouragement, hints at a gift, is a little tired, to get it, see it, don't need to be told twice. They're so good at caring for people in their life, super perceptive. Sometimes twos get a little frustrated when other people aren't as perceptive, but that's not a gift that everyone has. Twos make great nurses, great doctors, great parents, great counselors, and great psychologists. Twos are often very vulnerable to codependency, which to me simply means valuing someone's opinion over God's opinion, making that person a God in your life. They can enable people a lot of times. It usually leads to disappointment with both parties. And uh, twos, as a parent, are prone to losing themselves in the identity of their kids. And this can be a big problem, um, especially after the kids move out. But twos are amazing caregivers. And if you have had the privilege of having a two as a parent, kids raised by twos often have very fond and wonderful memories and great connections with their parents as adults. The same is true for twos in the workplace. Um, twos can get so obsessed with work that they lose their identity in it. When they retire, they don't know who they are. Twos will help you so much, but in return, they desire love and appreciation. You know, when I read a lot of the books, they kind of knocked twos for being manipulative. They said they had strings attached, and I just think that's ridiculous. Like, you guys, you can get that wrong. Twos are awesome. Like, I find it to be one of the best bargains on earth for me. It's like, you mean you'll move across the country with me? You'll help me achieve my hopes and dreams all the time selflessly, and you'll work for me for free forever, and all I have to say is thank you, I love you, and I need you? That's like an awesome deal. You know what I mean? Like, what are you complaining about? All you got to do is thank you, I love you, I need you, I see you. And like, that's one button to push. That's one lever to pull, and you're good to go, right? Twos will serve their guts out, but they need love and appreciation in return. One of my favorite examples of a two in the Bible who goes totally psychotic is uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 40. It says, but Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? You tell her to come help me. And it's like, whoa, Martha, that's crazy. And listen, a lot of times people are like, twos are love, peace, and chicken greed. When they get mad, it's crazy. Like, this is like straight up Jerry Springer. Like, he's coming down the fire pole, call the security. I preached on this a couple weeks ago. This is classic unhealthy confrontation from a two. Martha didn't want her sister to help. She wanted appreciation and love. And when she didn't get it, she went crazy. I mean, crazy. Like I said, love and appreciation for a two is like engine oil. Like, you got to do it. You give it, and it's going to be great. You don't do it, and your sweet, loving, helpful too is just going to blow up all over you. She should have said, Jesus, can you tell me that you see me? 
And this is something that's really healthy for a two, to learn to articulate your need, to see your need. And you're not going to understand it in specific. You're just going to feel unhappy. But learn to articulate and see what you really need in your heart. And so many times, just tell me that you see me. Tell me you appreciate me. That's very much what twos want. And uh, listen, if you're married to a two, I'm about to give you a line that is going to like beat your, your secret sauce right here, okay? I see your work, and I need and appreciate you, right? Got a two in your life? You just learn to say that to them. And it's going to be like, wow, that's all it took, huh? Like our marriage is saved. This is amazing. I just need to say that over and over again. It's not that bad of a deal. They're wonderful. Just tell them you love them. I wonder if it would have been better for Martha simply to ask Jesus, do you love me? Do you appreciate me? Do you see me? Twos, that simple question has totally revolutionized our marriage, and it's also revolutionized my wife's mental health. Martha has Jesus in her house, and I want you to think about this. She's so busy trying to earn his love that she never actually sits down with him. Can you imagine having Jesus over to your house for dinner and being so busy trying to earn his love that you never actually sit down and talk with him? I think this is a habit of a lot of twos in life. You're so busy trying to earn the love of everybody around you that you don't actually take the time to sit down with them and know them. Um, so many twos love to serve at church, but a lot of times our twos have a tough time going to church. And I think that serving people but being in relationship with people is a tension to manage for twos. And I want to challenge you to look at that in your life. Twos are great helpers. A great key verse for twos that I really like is Romans 12, 11. It says, never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. I think this really succinctly describes what twos are. And at twos, I want you to know that we love you, we see you, we need you, and we appreciate you. See what I did there, guys? That's a good example. All right, let's move on to the type three. The type three is the achiever. Type threes are dynamos. This is the second highest energy level of anyone on the scale. Um, they start businesses. They're always going, going, going. They're always working to win. They love marathons, Ironmans, workout plans, taking selfies of themselves on their grind, right? They want everybody to see because twos don't just want to be the best. They want everybody to know that they're the best. Threes are the most successful of all Enneagram types financially and regarding fame. Uh, famous threes include Taylor Swift, Tom Cruise, Jim Carrey, and many, many other famous people. In fact, threes include the vast majority of people in Hollywood. Most actors are threes. One of my favorite threes of all time comes from the cinematic masterpiece, Teledaga Nights, which I hold right up there with Shakespeare, and he is none other than the very famous Ricky Bobby. And Ricky Bobby coins what I think is the motto of most threes, which is, if you ain't first, you're last. Threes love that. This is your thing. This is how you feel in life. That's right. If you're not first, you are last. I want to be the very best like no one ever was. To catch them is my real test. To train them is my cause, right? To quote Pokemon, Ash Ketchum might also be a three. Anyway, unlike eights, okay, here's the thing. Okay, Eights want to build great systems regardless of how they look in the process. And a lot of times, eights and threes can almost be confused for each other. But, but number one, you probably like a three. You probably respect an eight but don't really like them. The other thing is you can tell a part, the difference between an eight and a three because eights will dress frumpy. You know what I mean? Like you'll meet this business owner who's super successful and they're just dressed terribly. It's like, how are you successful and yet you, that's what you look like? Threes, they're successful, but they're also the picture of success. You know, um, threes feel an intrinsic need to wear the best clothing, to drive the best car. They don't just want a family. They want a trophy family. Kids, we're going to sit down and we're going to keep taking pictures until you smile. And if you don't smile, I'm going to give you something to cry about. Okay? You keep crying. We're going to redo this. We're going to do it over and over again because we got to post this on Instagram and I want at least 200 likes on this, right? They don't just want a boat. They want the best boat. Threes want to live a life where they go on better vacations than anyone else. They experience great things. Two, some, or Threes sometimes can have a tendency to be one-uppers. Um, but this is what I love about threes is uh, they're super fun to be friends with. 
They expand your consciousness. They show you things that you never knew were there. Aaliyah on her staff is a three. And this week, she had like some kind of gift card to go to this spa that was like floating in, in like this brine fish tank. And it's like, wow, I didn't even know that existed. That's amazing. Like, I want to go float in that tank that you floated in. It, it sands the fish. There's no fish in there. But, um, She's like, I don't just want to go to, like, Mexico. I want to go to Bali. I don't know where Bali is. I didn't even know Bali existed. I'm glad I have a Lee in my life to expand my consciousness. She's like, I also want to consider going to the North Pole and sit in a glass igloo and look at Northern Lights or something like that. That's awesome. That's brilliant. You know what I mean? Like, thank God for threes. They expand your consciousness. Now, listen. America is the land of the brave and the home of the three. The personality type of the three is the most celebrated type in our culture. They are the ideal of success. They're the picture of success. When you hear about people like having fun, going to parties, being the life of the party, being popular and liked, they're always talking about threes. The most popular people in your high school, they were threes. Most likely to succeed, probably a three. And uh, threes aren't actually that common, except in L.A., because it's the mecca of threes. Threes love to go to L.A., where they can all get together and be themselves. Threes feel like life is too short, and they've got too much to do, and they want to make the most of every moment, and they want to live and experience more while sharing their success with the world, especially through social media. Most social media influencers, um, especially on Instagram, are threes because they love to live a curated, pictured, um, ideal life, right? That's what the threes want to do. It's not primarily about just being the best, though, for a three. It's about everybody else seeing and acknowledging to them that they are the best. The beauty of threes, this is a big deal to me, is uh, that threes have great vision. And as an eight, I really feel this connection with threes. Threes have the, they're entrepreneurs, they're business owners, they're CEOs, and they can see things for what they could be. They can see an abandoned building for the business it could become. They can see an old, worn down farmhouse for what they could turn it into. And you know, threes have the audacity, the courage, and the drive to make great things happen. The reason why economic activity happens in America is because of threes. In fact, most of us today have threes to thank for our modern way of life because American culture was built in a way that it unleashed the power of the three to succeed in our country. They build great buildings, they do extravagant things, and when they build their great buildings, they want their name in gold letters written across the side. That's an Enneagram type three. The core disappointment of a three is empty achievement. See, threes are so good at getting to their goals, but when they get there, they often find the goal empty Young threes will simply keep going. They'll, they'll get to their goal, and they'll always think, man, if I just had a new truck, if I just had this level of income, if I just had this place, they'll f I'd feel good. And they get there, and for a split second, they're like, that's not satisfying. On to the next thing, right? They don't even process through that pain. They just keep going. Older threes, when healthy, will learn to build a legacy and help others win. They want to tell people about their success, and they want students who tell them how successful they are, but then they want to empower and enable other people to be successful. I love having older, healthy threes in my life as role models. I really enjoy them because they're so helpful, and they're willing to teach you to work as hard as they can. And this is the other thing about threes, is they will remind you when healthy that all of the things that are your goals aren't going to succeed, so learn to enjoy the journey. I love older, healthy threes. Older threes, when unhealthy, can slide into depression and dissatisfaction satisfaction at having so much and yet feeling so disappointed. The midlife crisis, some of you have heard of that term, and it's almost exclusively reserved for threes in the middle of their life. Most people don't go through that in the same way that threes do, but when threes have achieved everything that they wanted to and it doesn't make them successful and they realize that half their life is gone, a lot of times they'll get frosted tips and a Corvette because they want to act younger than they are, right? That's the three midlife crisis. Um, 
A clear example of a biblical three is the rich young ruler. And he comes to Jesus looking for validation. He is a classic successful three who's done so much with his already short life. He comes to Jesus in Matthew 19, verse 16, and he says, Someone came to Jesus with this question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? This is sort of a silly question because we know this dude from the context of the passage is already super successful. He knows that he's awesome. His expectation is that Jesus is going to look at him and say, dude, all you do is win. You're a paragon of goodness. You're going to get eternal life because of all the things you've done, right? And uh, Jesus starts off as the man would expect. He says in verse 17, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. And then he summarizes all the commandments here. And this is kind of cool um, as a sort of like proto for the new commandment. But he says, love your neighbor as yourself, right? So the rich young ruler is pumped at this point. Jesus is following his mental script perfectly. And threes a lot of times have a mental script for how conversations and their life is going to turn out. And the problem is Jesus stops short of affirming the rich young ruler saying, you know, you're the best. And uh, the rich young ruler is like, but I really want you to, in front of everybody, tell me that I'm the best. So he baits him a little bit farther. He's like, Jesus, I've obeyed all these commandments. The young man replied, what else must I do, right? Classic networker, classic, like, affirm me in front of everyone. He's waiting for Jesus to publicly validate his position as best. Note that he doesn't seek Jesus privately like Nicodemus does. No, that would mean nothing to a three. He wants everybody to see Jesus, acknowledge him as the very best. And in verse 21, Jesus does reply, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give your money to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad for he had many possessions. This is a crushing blow to this three in particular. Jesus isn't talking about wealth as the problem. He's noting this man's achievements saying, listen, you root your identity in this scoreboard. You need to give up your trophy case and root your identity in my achievements instead of your own. And that's the big challenge for threes. Listen, threes, I love you. I want this to not sound harsh, but it's going to. You need Jesus. You need Jesus in your life, okay? Because the longer you live as a three apart from Jesus, the more your achievements are going to be hollow and empty. But threes who love Jesus are set free from the ball and chain of needing to succeed, and they're able to begin to focus on others and enjoy their life and their achievements. So many threes can achieve their hopes and dreams and find them to be empty. For a three, the key is reorienting your desire to be recognized by people instead to be recognized by, uh, by God as good because of Jesus. Threes are the achievers. Let's move on to the fours. And fours, I'm not going to lie, uh, I'm really interested in your type. Like, I find you fascinating. Not because you're weird, but you are sort of unique. You know what I mean? So anyway, um, fours are the romantics or the individualists. Fours are very rare. They're the most rare of all of the Enneagram types. They're often artists, hippies, and poets. And it's funny because today I said, oh, fours are super rare. And I turned around in rehearsal. I looked at the band, and I said, are any of you guys type fours? And more than half the band was like, yeah, I'm a type four. Because they're artists. They're drawn to that type of thing, right? Famous fours include Vincent Van Gogh, Amy Winehouse, Bob Dylan, William Shakespeare, and one of my favorite um, fours of all time, Harry Potter. It's wonderful. Uh, I had a Harry Potter wedding, and I did name my daughter Hermione. Not joking. That's real. So anyway, um, sevens are able to uniquely feel the positive emotions. Fours are uniquely able to feel the negative emotions effectively. Fours and sevens often have a hard time getting along, but when they can get along, they make a really dynamic pair. American, American culture loves threes. Unfortunately, it chews up fours, and it spits them out. It's interesting to see how different cultures value different Enneagram types. For instance, Italy really values twos. Whatever you want, your family, I appreciate you. Just, 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 uh, just tell me, you know, give me a little respect. Tell me that, that, that I matter to you, right? Um, French society really understands fours. 
If you're a four, spending some time learning about the French people will make you feel a little bit more understood. Fours bring great value to the table as they understand God's uniqueness and they can see beauty in everything. Now, one thing about fours, they don't care about success. They care about making a difference. They will forgo a high-paying career or trust fund to join an artist commune and be one with nature, man, and just experience community together. Like, that's a classic four statement. Fours have a core need, and that is to be unique, which is, again, part of why they hate the Enneagram, because they feel exposed by it. I've heard so many fours say, I felt exposed, and yet this is helping you understand you, and, and, and don't worry, you are very unique because you're so rare. But um, they will avoid things simply because they're normal. Cooper on our staff is a classic four, and he loves denying that he's a four because he doesn't want to admit that he can be described, but he is a four, and he finally admitted that this week after a little argument. But anyway, um, he doesn't want to buy a ring for his wife. He wants to forge one from the earth. He wants to forge it out of gold that he finds, so it can be a unique one of one, right? That's Cooper. He doesn't want short hair because it's just so plebeian and pedestrian for normal people. He wants long, flowing hair. And forget the man bun, right? Cooper doesn't want no man bun. Cooper wears it down. Who cares if he's confused? for a woman. He knows who he is. He wants a big house, right? And this is, or he doesn't want a big house. He uh, desires to live in a bus. And this is crazy to me. I was like, Cooper, why do you want a bus? He's like, I want to take a school bus and I want to make it with my own two hands. And then I want to put a compost toilet in it. And I was like, Cooper, why wouldn't you just buy an old Winnebago? It'd be way cheaper and like way nicer than any bus you could build. No, man, you don't understand. I want to make it with my own two hands. And a compost toilet is just so good with nature. And I was like, dude, you're messed up though, right? Have fun finding a girl. But anyway, um, he, uh, he says, I can move. He, he bought a house. And uh, he's like, I can move into my gutted house as long as it has a sink. No need for a shower. I just need a sink and a toilet. One room with sheetrock because, you know, that's what they did in the olden days is they used to just shower in the sinks. I was like, is that what they did in the olden days, Cooper? Anyway, um, Cooper, Cooper is like most type fours. He loves a great tragedy. Right? Type 4s love Shakespearean tragedies. They love Coldplay songs. He loves, you know, that song by Coldplay called The Scientist where the girl dies in the end. Like, oh, that was so great. And he says, at the end of a nice long tragedy, like a movie, he loves to sit in the theater and just enjoy the negative emotions as they wash over him. Right? He's just like, it just feels so good. And I'm like, you mean like a, like a stick in the eye? Like, that's how that feels to me. He's like, no, I love it. Um, fours often look for a tragic romance. They love a relationship that can never be. They love uh, a, a love that might be forbidden. They have a desire. They want a relationship that has a desire that can never be met. They see these things as especially alluring. And sometimes a four will sabotage a relationship that they're in so that it can become this sort of forbidden thing that they desire. They love that Romeo and Juliet tragedy. Fours are comfortable with sadness, which I think is actually really needed. I mean, I think today in America, we live under the misnomer that if it's sad... It's bad. And this is just a really unhealthy thing for America because I think for so many of us, we never actually develop the skill of processing our pain. And uh, this is a big, big problem because, you know, how does a child process their pain? They get on the floor and they throw a temper tantrum. And I think what's happened in America today is because we lack the skill of processing our pain, what do we do? We go to DeMont Unofficial and Original. We go to Hebron Chatter and just throw a big old keyboard warrior temper tantrum. You know what I mean? We go on Google Reviews and we throw this big giant fit. And it's like, you know, this is not good. We need to learn to process pain more effectively. And for us, I think part of this is because we sort of haven't made a place for you in our society. I want you to know we need you and we're glad for you. If you ask a four how they're doing, oh boy, 
get ready for a novel in response because they love acknowledging their feelings and talking about how it goes. I mean, they're going to send you a big, long text. Fours love to talk about their emotions and explain in great nuanced detail how they arrived at that place and, and how, like, you brought them to that place and all this stuff. The truth is, though, that sometimes the answer wouldn't, be that, uh, wouldn't seem that big if they were talking about something positive because we have a much bigger tolerance to hear positive things and negative things, and yet fours help us to develop our capacity to understand our pain. Fours sometimes have a tendency to exaggerate emotional pain, not because they're exaggerators, but because melancholy can be comfortable for them. A really good example of a four in the Bible is the first king, Saul. Saul gets told by the prophet Samuel in 1 Samuel 9 that he's going to be king. And like, you know, Meghan Markle, he doesn't want that, right? He thinks that's so plebeian and pedestrian to sit there and, you know, have a castle and a, and a, and a big house and a princess, not his thing. Um, so he ends up hiding, in um, 1 Samuel chapter 10, a few weeks later, where they begin selecting a, ki- a king by rolling dice or casting lots, he ends up hiding. In 1 Samuel chapter 10, check this out. It says, so Samuel uh, brought the tribes of Israel before the Lord, and the tribe of Benjamin was chosen by lot. Then he brought each family of the tribe of Benjamin before the Lord, and the family of the Matrites was chosen. And finally, Saul of Kish was chosen from among them. But when they looked for him, he had disappeared. So they asked the Lord, where is he? Saul knows that he's going to get chosen to be king, and he doesn't want it, right? He doesn't feel worthy. He feels like there's something intrinsically missing, and he hides it behind the facade of, I don't want to be king because I just don't desire normal things. This is such classic Enneagram type 4 thinking. I love the way that this gets wrapped up in the very next verse. It says, and the Lord replied, he is hiding among the baggage. So they found him, and they brought him out, and he stood head and shoulders above anyone else. I love that part of force. They don't want leadership. They don't feel like it's worth aspiring to, but deep down, they feel like they're not worthy of it. And yet, they're often chosen by it, by both God and by people, because their lack of being controlled by normal desires is alluring and captivating. Saul stood head and shoulders above anyone else, it says. And I think that is so emblematic and so metaphorical um, for fours. It's so true. They are powerful. They're attractive. They're charismatic. They're unique. And they're different. There's something about them that's so captivating. If you know one in your life, you know, like, man, that is really special. I can't really describe it. I just haven't encountered something like it. It's so unique. Saul would be the only person in the Bible to be both a king and a prophet. He would be such an amazing and captivating king that there would be a 30-year civil war after God anointed David to replace him because the subjects were so loyal to him, even though he was from the smallest tribe. Unlike David, Saul was a good father who raised a great son in Jonathan, and fours do tend to be excellent parents as they understand their kids uniquely and see beauty in each of their unique ways. And um, despite all these things, David or uh, Saul was trapped in negative feelings throughout his reign. Fours are the individualists. They're the romantics. We don't understand them in America, but we need them so badly. And I will affirm you once again, even though you hate the Enneagram, um, you're the rarest of all types. Let's review really quickly. Um, Twos are the helpers, and uh, they serve everyone so well, but they attach strings in the form of a strong desire for love and appreciation, but that's a good deal. There's just one lever to pull if they're in your life. Threes are the achievers. We love the threes. They make successful companies and win lots of awards, but they're disenchanted often when they reach the top. And then the fours are the romantics. They see beauty in processing pain, and uh, they struggle to move beyond pain because they're comfortable within it. Now let's talk about the core sin of each type. And I will remind you that some of these core sins feel and seem a little salacious. Just because it's a core sin, don't look at your spouse and say, I knew it, right? Because it doesn't mean that they're necessarily in it. It just means that it might be a proclivity for them, okay? So the core struggle of the two is pride. And a twos love to focus on the needs of others while giving the impression that they have no needs of their own. It feels good to be the source of health 
Twos will rarely ask for help, and they don't know how to receive it when it's given. They're used to saving the day, meeting the need, and not having the need on their own. Twos suffer from an inflated view of their own ability to help others and their power to fix tough situations. And because of this, they can really end up with an inflated view of themselves. And uh, let me tell you, this was so true of Kristen when I met her. I mean, she loved her some her. She thought she was God's gift to the world, and she kind of is. But, I mean, I totally understand that. Um, what lies beneath all that pride? I was just being careful in case she watches this. She was in first service tonight. I can say whatever I want, but then what if this is the one we choose and it's online and she sees it and then I'm dead? But anyway, um, what lies beneath all that? Shame. I think twos fundamentally think, what would happen if that person rejects me? It would only confirm something I've suspected all along, that I'm unworthy of love. Twos can struggle to understand that sometimes people love you without giving first. Their expectation is that they must give to love. Twos can overcome their core sin by admitting that they do have needs and taking the time to ask for them. For so many twos, it's so simple just to say, can you tell me that you love me? Can you tell me that you're glad I'm around? Twos, you've got to learn to articulate those needs when you have them, to understand them, to identify them, and to articulate them. When you hear this, it becomes so much easier for you to sit down and actually be with people rather than simply serving them. The core sin of the three is deceit. And uh, not lies in the way you traditionally think about it, though that that can be an unusual temptation for threes who see the truth as a barrier to winning. Um, but it's more of a willingness to act like someone or something else that they're not really to get what they want. Threes will chameleon their way into your heart by becoming whatever version of themselves they think you would love the most. This is why threes make great actors, because in a sense, all threes are acting they're acting for a potential customer. They're acting to please their pastor. They're acting for a potential lover. They're acting to please their parents. The wildly successful and very famous Jim Carrey said, I realized I spent my whole life acting like everyone wanted Jim Carrey to be, but now at the end of it, I have no idea who Jim Carrey really is. This is so true of so many threes. They're like shapeshifters who forgot their original form. They can change their form to match many different situations, but they struggle to know who they are. The person that threes sometimes when unhealthy can deceive the most is themselves. Threes have a tendency when they lose to find a way to blame it on someone else, to alter the reality in a way that exonerates them from fault. Because of this, unhealthy threes have a tendency to struggle to grow as individuals at some point in their life. Healthy threes typically have an eight in their life as a friend that can hold them to the truth and give them the hard truth when they need it. Threes can deal with their core sin by doing what the rich young ruler did not do, which is letting Jesus define you rather than being defined by your core achievements. Stop trying to achieve to be loved and receive and achieve out of the abundance of love that Jesus gives us. Again, threes, Jesus makes your life so much better. As you do this, you'll learn to be happy with other people winning and okay with not being the best all the time. The core sin of the three is deceit. The core sin of the four is envy. We can see this in Saul's life. When you read the story of Saul's life, you totally see his envy of David. But um, fours are usually becoming increasingly conscious of the feeling that says there's something fundamentally missing from my makeup. And uh, one of my favorite movies is the movie Catch Me If You Can. And there's this scene in the movie where the main character is running away from the cops, which he does for a lot of his life. And uh, he runs through his old backyard, and he sees his mom, stepdad, and sister celebrating Christmas through this picture window. And he looks in that picture window, and you can just see that he so much wants to live a normal life. He wants to be a part of that celebration, but he feels like he can't because there's something wrong with him. This is so common for type fours. They look at people living a normal life, and they envy them, wishing they could be a part of it. But they feel like because of some tragic issue in their own life, they can't. 
They immediately see who has a better family life, a more difference-making, fulfilling job, uh, a better ability to put together beautiful outfits, or a more distinguished and unique artistic talent, and they envy those people. Fours can overcome this by listening to others rather than focusing on your own problems. And listen, fours have a total tendency to focus on their own problems. You guys love thinking about and articulating your problems. Sometimes ask others about their issues, and then go out of your way to express what's present and unique about your life and the people in it rather than focusing on what's missing. It's a big struggle for fours, right? You see what's missing in your relationship rather than seeing what's there. And then don't wallow in suffering. Figure out the cause of suffering and address it. And finally, instead of longing for romantic and relational perfection, um, focus each day on the possible and work to complete it. And I understand that you're romantics, and I'm not saying lowered expectations, but in your relationship, work on the possible rather than the dream. Now, um, I want to talk about how to love each type, and this is my favorite part of the talk. I want to make it clear. There are some parts in here, particularly for type threes, that I think are going to be really helpful, but let's start with how to love type twos. Others can love type twos by telling them that we love them. This is really simple, and then working to help them tell us their needs. If you have a type two in your life, something that's really common is um, they will ask you questions all the time, but you'll never actually know who they are. This is really, really common across the board for type twos. I would challenge you to actually take the time to get to know them so that they have a chance to articulate their needs. And then type twos can love themselves by receiving love from Jesus first. And this is kind of a big deal. Twos have the unique ability to access the power, charisma, drive, and leadership of an eight with the emotional perception of a two when healthy. That's like really special. Twos can be world changers. Twos and Jesus are totally amazing. And I've actually seen God do this in my wife. When I met her, she was super shy, struggled deeply with anxiety, didn't really like talking with people. And God has absolutely unleashed a new level of leadership in her. And it's because she stepped into Jesus using her natural created form as a two. It's been really good for her. But um, learn to serve others out of love for them, not to get love from them. Threes. We can love threes better by helping them slow down and enjoy their accomplishment. This is a big deal for threes. And then here's probably what I think is my favorite point for this whole talk. Love threes at low points. Love them when they're a total disaster. If you're married to a three, at some point in your life, a three is going to let down their guard. And the hard part about threes is they're always exactly what you need. If you need to have them be something, they can chameleon their way into that personality. They're going to be a persona to you. And it's going to be really jarring when the three actually let, lets down their persona and like tells you what's really going on behind the scene. Don't shut down when that happens. It might feel odd, but it might be the first time that you're seeing the person you love for who they really are, and it might be the first time that they're seeing themselves for who they really are. It's a big challenge for threes, but when they share themselves with you, help them process through it rather than freaking out, and then ask them to get in touch with their feelings, not just their goals. Threes can love themselves by receiving Jesus' achievement in place of your own. Jesus' ultimate win on the cross is sufficient for you. It's exonerated you. you got nothing left to prove. And then build relationships that actually connect with you, who you are. Don't just move from stage to stage. Because threes are so talented, so capable, so charismatic, and so flexible, they can move from stage to stage in their life and become a totally different person at each spot. Threes don't mind moving around from city to city. They don't mind um, having houses in different locations. And yet a real challenge for a three is to actually be the same person on each stage. But as you discover who you really are, a sign of your health is that you can be consistent in different places. Remember that the rewards and achievements of this life are always disappointing, so learn to enjoy the journey. And that's one of the big benchmarks of a healthy three is they no longer spend their life yearning for goals but enjoying the process of getting to the goals. 
Force, we can love force by letting them talk about their feelings. They love to do that. But then encouraging them to move forward from their feelings into productivity. Force can love themselves by remembering that Jesus made you for a purpose. And I just want to say to force here today, you belong. God didn't make a mistake on you just the way that you are. You have an important role to play in our society. And secondarily, Forrest, I want to invite you to join the party. Like, God made you to be a part of this community. We need you to be a part of it. You don't need to stand on the edge anymore and make your own thing. Be a part of this. Bring your rich personality into our community. As we close, I want to remind you that we're to love each other just as Jesus loved us. That's the whole point of this series. And I don't just want to have healed relationships and better understanding of each other without loving Jesus more. You know, I haven't done a whole lot of apologetics in this series, um, but I want to remind you that um, God is real and that something doesn't come from nothing and intelligent design doesn't come from no intelligence. Like, I don't follow the, the um, delusion of atheism because I can't ignore facts, right? I'm not superstitious. I know that God is real, and that means I'm accountable to him. That means I have a creator who designed me in a specific way, and I think that compels me to actually live the way that he calls me to live. I love the way that John 13, 34 puts it, and this is the key passage for all Christians for all time, but it's also the key passage for this series. Jesus says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. So now I'm replacing the Ten Commandments. So now I'm summarizing the entire Old Testament with this one statement. Love each other just as I have loved you, so you should love each other. Twos, I want you to hear this. Jesus loved you without expecting anything in return. And he calls you to love others in that way. Threes, Jesus loved you before you achieved anything. I want you to learn to love yourself for that. Fourth, God made you unique just the way that you are. He wants you to walk into the world in that way. In the same way that he has loved you, so you must love one another. I know last week I forgot to include discussion questions, um, but I want to challenge you to actually do that this week. I I wrote out some stuff. I just want to challenge leaders of the family, especially men in the room, I want to challenge you to lead your families in a discussion um, from this message. I don't want you to just drive home and think, well, that was interesting. I want you to actually talk about it. And I, I wrote down four questions I think might be helpful. Number one, what number so far do I most relate to? And I hope this will be helpful for you. I want you to listen to some other people um, because, again, it's not so much about a test. It's about what you understand about yourself. And then number two, how am I overcoming my core sin? I think that sin is something we don't talk about quite enough in this society. And yet, you know, God doesn't tell us to not sin because he wants us to miss out on fun. He wants us to experience the most. And it turns out sin is a great way to rob yourself of life satisfaction. Right? So as we discover what our core proclivity is, I want you to really think about what can I do tangibly in my life to have victory over this core sin? Number three, how can I be loved better and how can I love you better? Now, listen, especially to the Enneagram type eights in the room, when somebody asks you how I can love you better, I don't want you to get the shotgun out and just fill it up with a bunch of shots and then get ready to tell people a million different things, okay? Don't overwhelm people. I know that I have a tendency to do this, but listen, what, what's one way, what's one tangible, practical, encouraging way that you can empower people to love you better? And listen, if you're a type nine in the room, you got to actually say something here, okay? You can't just ignore it. You can't just be, oh, no, you're doing everything perfect. No, say something, okay? And then how can I love you better, right? Really helpful. And then number four, what is one way I could serve Jesus better in light of the way God made me to be? And parents, I want you to call out potential in your kids. You know the way that they're wired, and I want you to point them in a direction that's going to allow them to achieve fulfillment and actualization within the body of Christ. My father helped me discover my unique giftedness to serve Jesus, and I'm so grateful that he had the courage and the insight to have that conversation with me. Parents in the room, I want you to call out potential in each other, in your children, and in your families as we walk forward in this series. 
I hope that God really blesses your discussions. I want to ask you to stand so that we can pray for twos, threes, and fours together as we close. Jesus, today we come before you and we thank you for twos, threes, and fours. Thank you for the unique way that you made each of them. God, I just ask that you would use the understanding and insight that you've given to us about them through this series to love them more effectively, to empower them to live their lives more effectively so that we can love one another the way that you call us to. Jesus, I just pray that as a church, you would bind us together with love for one another so that we can accomplish your purpose within the state of Indiana, Lord. I just pray that someday we would look back at this series and say, man, that's really where God set the launch pad to begin the revival that he did through this whole state and country. Thank you for who you are and for what you've done for us, Lord. We just acknowledge that you are the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to eternal life. And as a church, we just resolve to love one another because you commanded us to, because you are worthy and because you are the one true living God. Thank you so much for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen and amen. The band is going to lead us in one song together. I'd ask you to sing with us.